1: This year marks the 50th birthday of your favourite Sunday World newspaper. To celebrate, we're looking back over some of the front page stories and the scandals with the big name journalists who made it the people's paper. So join us to reel in the years over the coming weeks on Crime World and a special 50th birthday party event, which is going to be held on September 27th at the Sugar Club in Dublin. We have 50 tickets to give away for this live Crime World event to mark the big occasion. For information on how to enter, go to our Crime World social media channels on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Sunday World is 50, a Crime World special. We were just discussing there where to start and we have kind of agreed the best place to start is with that catchphrase, or the phrase, the marketing phrase that came out, the world is watching and what it was all about, what was the idea behind it and what what was the point in time that that came about
0: yeah the world the world is watching yeah that was kind of our mantra uh, in the sunday world i guess uh for a, a particular period in the papers history yeah i'm going to say it was in around 2010 there was uh, a couple of kind of twin earthquakes happened in terms of the newspaper and in terms of crime reporting, I'd say around about 2010. Uh, and one of them is in, you know, the life of the Sunday world itself. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, at the time, we had a big uh, challenge from uh, maybe uh, an opposition paper that uh, uh, should not be named. I suppose, News the world. The News was News the world, Nicola. Yeah. <laughs> so Rupert Murdoch, the News the world and all that. So they uh, made a big play. Big pitch in around about 2010 to, uh, literally, they were going around town saying, we're going to be the, the Sunday world, we're going to steal the the Sunday world clothes. That they kind were a of huge
1: thing. animal with a huge amount of money behind them. I mean, this was, you were competing against, you know, I mean, this was, well, the Sunday world was very much entrenched in Irish society then, just trying to think 2010, it was coming up to 40 years in existence at that stage. Yeah. So, you know, it was a very powerful brand, but... The news of the world had clout, it had money, it had vast yeah. amounts of money behind it.
0: Oh, no doubt this is the, one of the biggest newspapers in, in the world. It's the, yeah. uh, with the deepest pockets in the world, uh, with Rupert Murdoch's uh, kind of war chest. And they made a very specific, uh, you know, play in Ireland, which they were entitled to do. But it did revolve at the time around, uh, you know, the whole crime scene. And they hired, obviously, various people uh you know, from from who who had previously worked with the Sunday World Coach
1: so. Paul Williams, the biggest name in DG. crime at the yeah. time.
0: And I remember it was said at the time it was uh, there was about a million euro behind this in terms of advertising and in terms of everything else and resources. And that probably wasn't far off the mark at the time, to be honest. So it was a huge uh, it was a huge kind of challenge to us to see what would we do, uh what would we do to that. And I remember I think having a conversation with yourself and I think you wisely said, no, well, I'm not, you You know, were you going to be next in line, as it mm-hmm. were, as the crime editor of The Sunday World? But at the time, uh, you would have been, and still are, I, I suppose, uh, the, the investigations editor, which was a different brief. Yeah. And I think wisely, probably at the time, you said, no, I'm not going to, uh, you know, just go head-to-head head and do mm-hmm. that. So, uh, which I think was, a, that is what sort of started us down a different kind of path, I think, and I, uh, in my memory of it anyway, which was, well... We won't play this on their on their terms. Then we'll play it on our own terms, uh, which was to then assemble, you know, various groups, of, a, a, a group of people, which mm-hmm. we then termed uh, sort of a crime desk of people. So we had, uh, you know, yourself was there. Obviously, we had people like uh, Niall Donald, uh, familiar to this parish, uh mm-hmm. like of Alan Sherry, who would end up at the Regency. People like that came on board. No, uh, uh, was my name there? Was, there. Stage. was he? Uh, Mick McCaffrey would have been one of the came. He yeah. came a little bit later than that, all yeah. right. But again, that was the that was what we were doing. We were kind of uh, deciding we would have a sum of the parts kind of approach mm. and take a totally different approach. And that's what, you know, circle back to the world is watching. That was kind of the team then that we settled on. We had all these people, all, uh, you know, very experienced, very good crime reporters, general reporters, doing different aspects of that kind of whole beat. And the theme that seemed to it all together was this idea, which in my mind was an old school Sunday World legacy that, you know, the Sunday World could pop up anywhere, anytime, any part of Ireland. That's what we would have prided ourselves a little bit on. That, you know, we were watching, you never know, you know, people used to to mm-hmm. joke about it, the Sunday World jumping out of a hedge at you if you're up to no good, that kind of idea. And it went all the way back with me to to a picture uh, that uh uh, to me, summed up uh, the Sunday World or the attitude of it when I was, uh, you know, trying to, to to work there and we were trying to follow the tradition or the history of the paper. Uh, and there's a famous picture of Liam O'Connor, who's an old photographer you'll have worked yeah. with in the Sunday World outside the forecourts Courts in Dublin, going back to the 1980s. And he he has his camera out, but he has a he has a fist in his face, a hand in his face. You'll know the picture. Yeah. And and the guy he's trying to photograph is Mikey Dunn, one of the Duns, so one of the original. Uh, you know, crime lord, one of the original crime families in Dublin. And that, you know, was the sort of tradition and the legacy that we were trying to uh, follow in the Sunday World in 2010. And that was the, the notion, you know, well, the world is watching yeah, uh, so you never know where we're gonna pop up or what we're gonna do was the was the idea. And we had all this
1: an amazing there. marketing phrase, really, when yeah. you think about it. Like it was yeah. incredible. I mean, it's the kind of thing that people would pay consultants millions and millions of euros to come up with our old whole friends, concept of the it. consultants, yes. yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I must uh, I must invite somebody consultancy, yeah. as uh, that's kinda Derriga these days, you know, for that. But uh, I'm not gonna uh, I can't remember the exact origins of it. I'm sure it was something we bounced around between a few people. Uh, it may have been something that uh, that I came up with. I'm not sure, but uh, it did sort of capture it. And we had kind of a whole campaign around it and I had a kind of a, you know, a, a pair of eyes that would yeah. look out at a poster from you. And the idea was, uh, which is what the Sunday World did very well and still does, you know, that idea that we were in communities. We were there with people uh we were on the side of the, the people the people's paper and we were watching these things what was going on and i mean it's mm. it's a it's a marketing slogan on one level but it's it's also it was kind of what we were about
1: you know and it fed into other famous aspects of the, the newspaper as well including PubSpy mm. i mean that that famous sort of uh column that has existed for probably since the beginning oh maybe? I would was say it? day one I yeah. don't have
0: correction but I, I think yeah. day one it was uh, yeah it was that we talked about Strokes of uh, marketing and newspaper genius—that was certainly one of them. Yeah,
1: this I invisible, think. unknown entity would go into a pub, would have a few pints, and would come back out with reports about, you know, the hygiene of the toilets, the yes, kind of the yes, general. Famously.
0: Well, yeah, the pub's boy and his commandos, as it was styled, it took on a particular type of uh, the, the, the way it was written was, was very clever from the early days. It was this, yeah, this boy and his commandos going into all these little towns, pitching up in God knows where, and from from Longford to, to Leitrim, you know, but. The uh, it was a great mystery about it. And I remember working in uh, local newspapers myself down in Westmead. And if Pub's Boy came to town and was in the Sunday World, it was then a follow-up story in the local paper and the local radio. Yeah. and you, It's funny that you mentioned it with the, in, in the context of the, the world is watching. Yeah, it's a similar kind of a philosophy, I guess. But uh, at one point when we were doing that same world is watching campaign, you may recall this, we had a van going around the town and it was all, you know, liveried up with the the eyes, as I was describing there, looking out at you from the van, but it also had pubs boy kind of down the side of it. And I think it was parked outside somewhere, possibly in Le Hinch, I'm going to say in Clare one day. Uh, somebody had just borrowed the van and <laughs> taken it away, but uh, they arrived back out from from having uh, a drink inside in the pub to find a you know a note on the windscreen wiper saying "some spy you are." <laughs>
1: so <yeah. laughs> I was going to say, wouldn't it have been a jeep. We would have necessarily taken on any of our jobs out. No,
0: we, we kind of learned that quickly yeah. enough that we needed sort of different kind of uh, you know vehicles on the road if you yeah. were when you were doing the, the more serious end of the stuff. Yeah, but I mean the world is what I mean. It's to me. It's that, you know, it's that, that door-stepping kind of mentality. Mm. That's what we were trying to do. Uh you know, All newspapers do it, but in an Irish context, nobody was quite, you know, doing it as much or as often uh, as, as the Sunday world, I guess. And it, it ran, you know, at the total spectrum of kind of skullduggery, if you will, from, you know, not just criminality, but corporate and political and even, you know, celebrity uh wrongdoings. The, the notion was that we would... Pop up anywhere, any 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 week with a, a kind of a doorstep and and you know asking people questions and exposing various things that were going on. So I mean we had uh, all sorts of people in there. There was this is you know 2010, so the banking crisis was in full in full flight as well. Uh, I remember the likes of Donald McIntyre popping up on the you know the 18th green in front of Sean Fitzpatrick. There was that kind of stuff. There was uh, you know Bertie Ahern. I'm sure uh, got got the treatment. One of my own favorites was uh Thierry Henry who we famously sent somebody to, to, to speak to after the infamous handball incident with a, a six foot high uh, apology to the Irish nation and the, you know the, the the beauty of the art of the doorstep is captured in that picture at the look on Thierry Henry's face as he finds this Sunday World Reporter outside <laughs> his, uh, his, his mansion in the in the Spanish hills you know so that was the kind of the notion of it and obviously then the more serious and, and, and the darker the darker kind of ended out as well at the criminal side of things.
1: In a way it was a new era for the Sunday world because, you know, the and what sparked it was Paul Williams going to the to that rival newspaper that was coming in with a promise of, you know, a war chest behind it and, and intent to take take over the market as such. But um like that what what led up to it was Williams was an excellent crime journalist. I mean, he was second to none and had had a decade of front pages or probably more than that. Uh, in the Sunday world had done some amazing investigative journalism and was almost, you know, he was the most famous face of the Sunday world. So it was a devastating loss when he was moving on and a big, huge challenge. Like, I mean, in the lead up to that, was there a a, a, a sort of a belief that there was no Sunday world without Paul Williams, that one person was sort of what Mm -hmm. encompassed the whole paper?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that was probably was certainly the belief uh, in the people who were, you know, who who were hiring him over, and there was a belief that that was if you did that, you could uh, you could sort of then assume or become the, you know, the, the Sunday World. Uh, we certainly didn't believe that, and I think uh, you know, good and all as a reporter as as Paul was and and some of the. The, the stories you know were, were legendary back in their day, going back to the you know Father Michael Cleary scoops and things like that. But the, you know the, the the crime reporting done through all the the nineties and the Gilligan years was mm. was kind of you know real cutting edge. It was it was agenda setting stuff. There's no doubt. But yeah, that, I mean there probably was a perception elsewhere that you know you know, that if if you hired Paul, maybe that then you could become the Sunday world. But as I say, I think the Sunday world was more than that. it was embedded into Mm. Irish society and Irish culture Uh, at every level. As I said, that kind of notion that uh, at a parish level, you'd pop up, you know, as pubs boy or, you know, somebody jumping out of a hedge. I mean, I'm always reminded of the, you know, Christy Moore, the original lyrics to Christy Moore's famous Liz Doon Varna, which is like a celebration of all human life, certainly a celebration of all things Irish and all Irish life. And and in the middle of it, in the original lyrics, there's a, a name check for the Sunday world. And that was just the kind of thing that you just would not know where the Sunday world w- would pop up. And it's roots, you know, those roots in Irish society uh, and in, you know, both rural and urban communities, I think, where it's actual real strength that yeah. was when they were more than more than any more than Paul more than me more than you more, more than, than anybody person, yeah. more than any one person. And I mean, when we were looking at the fortieth anniversary, which seems only uh, you know five minutes ago, uh, mm-hmm. at the one of the original news editors, Sean Boyne, I remember wrote a piece for us, and uh, he summed it up from from the early days. They articulated this uh, as a, as an actual policy that they would write for readers and not write for for other journalists. Uh, and I mean, because other journalists at the time were telling them they were mad to, to launch this paper and that it wasn't going to last and that kind of stuff. So, but they were very, very from the outset, you know, uh, very kind of uh, connected to communities, be they Ballymun or be they, you know, Ballymahan and Longford or whatever. But, mm. uh, so it always had that sense of itself and sense about it in, in in my mind. And much as that was a huge challenge at that time, uh, you know, the, we talked about the money and the campaign that went into it. I don't think we were ever in any doubt that the paper was stronger than, you know, any one individual. Mm. And as I say, then we went about this uh, process of having what we call a crime desk instead of a crime reporter. And it seemed
1: to work like only two years. I think before that, you and I had sat down for lunch and I had Mm. been years out. What would you call it? Um sort of out of the loop, I suppose, I'd been running a news agency, which was all about making money and very little about, uh, you know, suppose, digging deep into investigative journalism. It was very quick turnaround stories. And myself and Lynn Kelleher were running it for years. We had Mm. done very well out of it. Um, But it kind of had its time. And I was looking to come back into proper journalism, as I'd call it. And we'd had a lunch and uh, the lunch, yeah. it was a lunch with some wine, which gave me the courage to seal the deal with you. But uh, And of course, we were went way back. We were in college together. We've been friends for years and years, decades now. Um, but I had only started really in the Sunday world. And I remember coming in being so bloody nervous because I was looking at this paper and these stories they had and these mad sort of up close and personal profiles of criminals and everything and I was going how in the name of God am I going to do it and you said something to me like Asher you're just 10 splashes a year over so we expecting that would be nothing nothing to you and I nearly died I nearly I had to just take yeah. d- down the glass of wine and go yeah I was yeah, trying okay. to it
0: down with 10 it was probably closer to 20 <laughs> I was hoping for it yeah but uh didn't want really to scare you off from yeah. the start uh, It was probably about the the fifth or sixth time I think I'd asked you to take a, a job at that stage was it?
1: Yeah, probably yeah so, yeah uh,
0: Yeah. so what, if it wasn't for the the Santorita Boulevard as we used to refer to the, some of the the wine lunches yeah maybe Encourage. maybe you would have yeah. said no but yeah I mean, I I mean, at that time, I I had no doubt, I think I said it to you, I think you mentioned this somewhere recently when writing about it, that uh, I said, well, it wouldn't be any bother to you. I think uh I think that was fairly prescient as it turned out, you know. But yeah, it can a paper like that and the type of stories that it was doing and breaking can seem like Jesus, how do you you yeah. know how do you get in here and do Because there was people working at the the top of their game, certainly, a lot of people. Uh but I think uh yeah, I think you, you you fitted right in probably there. Well, I was only there
1: a couple of years really, and then we started this new campaign and there was this it felt like there was this whole new drive. Hmm. Um and all sorts of different ways into reporting on things. And actually, a lot of the time when you mentioned the banking crisis, I did a lot of stuff yeah, around like that.
0: You were, you know, and, and by, by design and by choice, the, the the investigations editor as opposed to the crime or gangland yeah. crime, I guess. Uh, and there was an awful lot going on in those days in that field. I mean, you were chasing people like Michael Ingleton was it, you yeah. know, who, who had cost the taxpayer serious amounts of money. And uh, or one of my personal favorites, if we want to talk doorsteps, was, uh, you know, when you went down to Tipperary on the trail of a certain Michael Larry. And uh, much as you think, you know, various criminals have come up with, you know, cunning plans to to dodge the, the press and dodge the chasing pack. Uh, we'd never seen the one that uh, that Michael Larry pulled, which was to step into a complete stranger's house and close the curtains <laughs> on you. You might recall that. But uh, So, yeah, all I of that kind of stuff. just got
1: my first ever iPhone and managed to video it. On the wrong way round. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the wrong way round. Yeah. You know, the one that would, you were always told not to do it that way. Yeah. It was sort sort of narrow, but still. Yeah, the landscape or, uh, uh, Yeah, it. yeah. That was a Saturday. And, you know, obviously the the stories came in. The most exciting stories would have come in on a Saturday for the front page on the Sunday. And the Larry story was. It's something to do with a town that I'll never forget the name of Gortna Hoo. Gortna Hoo, very Tipperary. good. Tipperary. Yeah and that there was some ghost estates down there and Larry's connection to it was something to do with land or whatever. He was very connected to it anyway and I Mm. wanted to ask him some questions about it and about why these estates had been left idle and all the rest of it. And he did behave so peculiarly. Over two days, myself and Ernie went and tried to just... I mean, he was a politician. You'd expect him to stop and just say, I don't have any comment to make on that. Instead, he played this game with us. He used to open the gates of his house and take off in his big fancy car. and We'd take off after him. Was, and
0: it was like he was enjoying it a bit,
1: yeah. I'd say he was enjoying it a yeah. bit and eventually tracked him down. We were actually about to head home and I saw him walking past me on the street. And I think I just pulled the car in, got out, managed to hit video on the phone somehow, even though anyone who knows me knows i'm not very technically like that, that was luck
0: iphone is idiot proof was well maybe yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, i called after him and he just ran away from me into this housing estate and went into some man was out gardening and he went into his <laughs> the door <laughs> open door of his <laughs> and slammed the door shut the and, patio pulled, door the, and pulled the curtains, pulled the curtains. Yeah. and i just stood there in shock the man who was gardening whose house it was went up to the door, went to open it and uh, Larry sort of tried to slam the door shut and then sort of grabbed him and pulled him into the house. Yes. And then the man rang me and said, oh, Michael, Larry's invited into my house. It was very peculiar, very funny. The video's still but, out I
0: mean, goes. as to that, I think, you know, and some people would say, oh, what are you, you know, what's the point to some of these kind of st- stories or doorsteps or whatever? Now, there was a serious story behind that one. But to my mind, that notion of doorstepping these, you know, self-important people, not just Michael Larry, but you do, oh. it does, it bursts, that uh, bubble that they exist in of, you know, self-regard and self-importance and, you know, at the more sinister end of the scale, then this this bubble of fear and intimidation that they like to surround themselves with. So uh, the notion that, you know, this guy has to, you know, run into somebody's house and close the curtains, it just, it's faintly ridiculous, but it does, I think, achieve that kind of uh, aim of, you know, well, just taking these people down a peg or two uh and it's that whole doorstep notion that world is watching notion that you're you're going to pop up and people are not prepared for it when you know you're you're catching people with their with mm-hmm. their pants down that was mm-hmm. the you know the Sunday world way and you know it can be in a, a a slightly more lighthearted fashion or you know that's ultimately the same kind of idea when you're doorstepping some of these uh, serious criminals and, and trying to
1: strip to away this aura tactics, w- yeah. untouchability
0: that they they like to have you know mm.
1: and i suppose you know around that time, 2010 and, and onwards for the next, you know, five to 10 years, um, while there was some of the doorsteps were funny, they were on golf courses, they were, you know, these these bankers, they were developers, they were all this. But it did turn dark very quickly, and it was the era of the Kinnahons cartel, I mean 2010, May 2010 was the first mm. supposed takedown of the organization by Europol, a failed attempt to dismantle them, um, which would ultimately empower them to become bigger and more sinister and just, I mean, richer and mm. everything. Um I mean, I wanted to ask you like from your perspective, you're you're the guy in charge. You're steering the ship. You're sending people out on these jobs. You're Working out how to go about trying to run stories on these mafias, essentially. Like, how do you, how do we, I suppose, come up with ways and means to apply that doorstep to an arena where it is so incredibly dangerous, where there's guns and there's, Mm, you know, there's spotters and there's, you're in a foreign country and,
0: yeah, well, I mean, there it was. Uh, I think I said at the start there. There was the uh, the two twin earthquakes in terms of news and newspapers in 2010. That was the second one. Was up that operation shovel? happened and said, well, we'd assembled all these kind of various reporters. All of a sudden, you know, you wanted something for them to do. Here it was because, I mean, the Kinnahons had always been there. And I mean, Daniel Kinahan had appeared very early on in the in the Sunday world. And that's had Christy Kinnahons and been, and you know, named the Dapper Don, I think, in the Sunday world by, by Paul Williams. But there was a sense that, you know, through the 90s, it was all about, you know, John Gilligan and the Gilligan mob. And then the noughties were largely Limerick and Crumlin and Drimlin and these kind of things. So they kind of, you know, went along slightly under that radar in terms of getting that full focus of of the likes of The Sunday World. But 2010 changed all that, certainly uh, changed it forever. Yeah, it, it became apparent that even in our kind of wildest estimations, when you're talking about drug empires and you're wondering, you're getting figures from you know, various people and intelligence and you're wondering how accurate they are, but uh, the sheer scale and ambition of what was exposed by Operation Shovel to us, uh, you know, really showed us that here was the first bona fide, you know, Irish mafia cartel. I mean, remember, we had people out in, you know, Brazil looking at some of these properties, you know, they weren't fully built at the time, but... That were exposed by Operation Shovel when the Kinnans were, were taken down. That time you refer to, but it just showed the sheer scale and ambition of the, the, the and the greed that was there at the heart of that, and showed, that was mirrored in the in the the drug empire. But as to how then, you know, it becomes obvious that a paper of Sunday World has to cover a story like that and has to do it. And and these guys weren't in Dublin; well, they were scattered throughout Dublin with various kind of, I suppose, branches of the operation in Dublin. But then they were based as we know, in in Spain on the Costa del Sol. So, uh, yeah, I mean, quickly we had to sort of, uh, we were still in the midst of this kind of, uh, you know, tabloid war as well, I guess, Mm -hmm. with the opposition. So we were very conscious of that and we were conscious that we had to cover the story. But you know that we had to learn very quickly uh how to how to operate in places like that and how to do it safely and at the heart of everything is is safety you know mm. uh, nothing is worth uh, anybody uh, getting hurt as we often say in the business you know so I mean, it was it, there was a lot of learning as we go. I think you might recall, but we we certainly put in place, you know, a lot of expertise. We 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 spoke to a lot of people. We took a lot of precautions. I mean, you you plan these things. You plan, you know, your way in. You plan your way out. Mm-hmm. As you know, and and that doesn't always go out to plan. Uh, as sometimes happened as well at a later stage when we did the the kind of probably the major kind of operation that we did mm-hmm. or sting, if we can call it that, on the Kinnethans in around about twenty thirteen. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're assembled, assembled a lot of experienced and very, very good people who knew what they were doing. Uh, you're hugely dependent on, you know, the research and intelligence that you can get. You know, you're not going anywhere, hopefully into the dark. You're, you're researching things like addresses and who's mm. there. You're always conscious that you're probably being watched mm. uh, as transpired, in your case, in, in 2013. uh, uh which that could have t- could have taken a dark turn at that stage, but the precautions yeah. that were there in place probably we fell back on. Yep. you may and recall, mm. you know, more about that. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that's that's kind of uh, the approach to it, I guess. But uh, at all times, you're you you're know, trying you're to trying get up, to, you're
1: getting up as close as possible without getting bitten. Really, isn't that it? You're just trying to get as as close as possible to get. And the point of it, of course, is, and you referred to 2013, when a team went out to Porto Benoos, out into the Kinnahan organization, they had reassembled at that point. Mm. You know, Europol told us they were dismantled, they were over and done with, they were not. We were getting more and more reports back to Dublin that they were back together. They were more powerful than ever on the Costa. Um, you know, that they were back in the business, they were back in the game. And sure enough, we went out to sort of see the environment. I mean, the point of doing that is, um, it's not voyeurism, you know, it's not to, to go out and take a picture of a fancy car. I suppose it's to show, well, in my mind, it's to show what is, what this misery, I suppose, is funding for the the the, the chosen few at the very top table. And by trying to get as close as possible to the lifestyle they're living, you know, for me, it was always, I remember when we were, um, Myself and McCaffrey were posing as a a couple from Dublin, interested in buying uh, an apartment. Yeah, Nijan and Trish. Nijan and Trish is what we called ourselves. So We did have a bit of a laugh at it as well, I suppose, but we wanted to get as close as possible to uh, Christy Kinahan, where he had been arrested uh, to this very fabulously exclusive uh, place he was living in, Estepona, where you just couldn't wander in. So we had to set up to see a few properties to claim we were interested in buying them. but, for me, the point of that was that Christy Kinnahan had played the system so long. I mean, way back to when he was first arrested and jailed in Dublin, he had stood up in court and told the judge that he had a drug problem and that he begged him for leniency and said that he wanted to get an education behind bars. And he had done that. You know, the taxpayer had funded his education, um his degree, whatever he got. um, you know, he learned his languages. He, he he actually stayed in prison famously longer than he needed to because he wanted to finish his education. And with that education and with that chance that we gave him as a society because of the systems we have, he went out and created a mafia which made him fabulously wealthy, which resulted in the loss of, we don't know how many lives, but a lot. And all the misery and the, the tragedy the that misery. goes with that. Yeah,
0: and all the misery. <clears throat> The thing that always strikes me about the Kidmans is it's you know it's happening in you know their own community. This kind of Oliver Bond area, if you like, is, is almost one of the ground zeroes of yeah. yep, the epicenters of the of the the misery that they're causing, and that's to the point of showing them you know in their uh, with their pants down in their backyard where mm. they don't like to be seen. Uh, they like to be seen when they come back home. and and they swan around a little bit. But, you know, that notion of getting up close and personal with them, yeah, uh, in their backyard where they're spending their money, where they're flashing all the wealth. And I mean... I used to think sometimes it was a myth that some of these gangsters were making so much money because you see them in Dublin and most of them 90% of them would stay in Dublin and they stay in these compounded areas in you know in yeah. in, in kind of the communities they grew up in so it was unusual uh, the Kinans were unusual in that sense and unusual that we got to sort of photograph them they were you know like the the, 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 the movie cliche sp- spending the money and buying the mansions and all that kind of stuff so uh, so yeah it was important to I think to show people in these kind of streets and communities where you know the the drug problem was was causing all the carnage. Uh, that this is where the money goes. Yeah, and here, mm. here they are spending the money, and that uh, the culmination of that particular job being, I think I'm right in saying, possibly the only time Christy Kinahan Senior was ever photographed outside of the you know confines of a court where you can safely approach people, uh, and and he was photographed at his favorite uh, sushi restaurant in Port of at the port there and. Uh, like, I'm, I'm fairly certain when he saw that he wasn't too happy, and again. It's, you know, it shows that this aura and this kind of bubble, you know, of invincibility, of untouchability, uh, it pricks that a little bit, takes them down a peg or two. It embarrasses them, but, you know, it shows them here they are, uh, you know, in their natural kind of habitat, you know, and in a way that they don't want to be seen. Uh, There's a bit of a rush, though, too, isn't
1: there, to get one over on them? I mean, you know what I mean? There is that. You you get that picture. I'm sure when that picture landed home, um, there was a a sense of absolute achievement and you just knew that that was just going to be a wipeout.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, you know it from, you know, when you're on the road and on the ground, it's even more intense, I guess, than being,
1: you know, back in the in
0: the office. But uh, there's no sweeter kind of, uh, you know, beer you might have at the end of a job than once the job is done and once something like that is is in the can. And everyone is, you know, more importantly, you know, safely out of there. And, you know, you're back to somewhere where, you know, you're out of, you're out of the, the, the firing line. And you sit back and have a drink. You know that feeling. So. Do
1: you think it's a mad job?
0: Mad job? Uh, no, I don't think it's, well, I mean, your particular end of it is probably something that a lot of people would think is a bit mad, all right, yeah, I mean, mm. I I do think you have to be almost born to it, I don't think, uh, you know, you can fall into that without having a certain sort of uh, makeup, uh, I'm not entirely sure what the parts of that uh, often are, you know, but uh you you do need that sort of uh I, th- I think the biggest part of it is uh to me I mean and I'm often a lot of my career has been sort <laughs> of back in the HQ if you will but uh it's all driven by this kind of chip you have on your shoulder about uh, you know injustice and these kind of bullies that swagger their way around the world whether they be you know in the corporate world or the, the mm. political world and ultimately the ultimate school bully is the is the criminal you know so uh I think if you're driven by a sense of that, I don't think you see it as mad. You know, I think mm. you see it as uh, as something that, that, you know, very valuable, something worth doing. Uh, certainly, you know, it's, it's a very kind of uh, rewarding uh, job, I would say. A uh, bit mad, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the Sunday world, I suppose, what impact do you feel it's had? What impact does it have nowadays in this changing world we're in? We're both doing very different jobs now than mm. when we started out. Do you feel it has a place for the next, you know, few decades? I don't know how long we can look into the future, but or if at all we can in, in the media. But you know, it's fifty years a survivor, the Sunday World, and is it still packing a punch?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I as I said, I don't work there anymore, so I'm not sure whether it's uh, yeah for, for, for me to say. It certainly, does a role for for that. Kind of uh, uh, campaigning and crusading style of paper that it started out as. There's a, a role to be, you know, the, the the voice. Excuse me, the voice of the people. Certainly, still, I think, you know, but the, the media world has changed so uh, drastically. drastically. And so, you know in so many ways since certainly that 50 years it's hard to credit but a lot of people would have said at the outset that it wasn't going to last you know 50 days I think so it certainly has made an impact all the stories over the years that uh, you know there's a legacy there alone as I say this legacy of taking people down a peg or two uh, you know exposing the kind of things that have gone on in some of the you know drug gangs in the communities I mean that's a that's an important legacy that's there I think that work is certainly somebody will continue Mm on. somebody will have to carry it on I don't none of somebody know somebody a lot younger than me none, none of us know where <laughs> these kind of brands
1: and yeah. platforms
0: as they call them these days uh, uh, go you know will w- we'll go or what they'll be in a few years time I guess
1: but, but you've brought a lot of what we had in the Sunday world to your new role in the star and the mirror I mean I can see I can sometimes absolutely know exactly what you're going to do with something I know exactly what you're going to do with it you know what I mean you well, we should um, tell me sometimes and so it's,
0: myself half eleven yeah
1: I think that sort of world is watching thing has probably followed you a little bit into the into those other media and uh, you still have an ability to to send on a story and get that reward, which is something special and unique. Yeah, well,
0: people have often said that to me in the the, the Star and the Mirror these days. Where, uh, other journalists would say, yeah, we, we've kind of, you know, we're one of the last few people still maybe sending people to, to, to various jobs in various parts of the world, which is great. And that's to do with the, the you know, people higher up chain to me who, who back us in doing that, and we've people just back from. Lebanon and and, and places like that and Mm. we have gone uh, in search of various people all right in the last while but uh, I think that's a hugely important part of the job it becomes more difficult as you know with uh, resources and so Mm. on Uh, I think uh, your famous line whenever we said well how much is it going to cost was just a job well 20 grand that's all you (laughs) need
1: 25
0: hang on a second but might only cost by three or four no 20 (laughs) grand that was it so once you had 20 grand in the budget you were good to go but yeah uh, but now I mean it is uh, an important point to about how media is developing and how the the, re- the revenues and resources and so on that have been sucked out of media uh, by the likes of Google and Facebook and uh, dare I say maybe even RTE, but. Uh, uh but, you know, that kind of money uh, may not be there if somebody wants to go out and do the likes of the stuff that we did in 2013 in Spain. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, And these guys, as we know, are going deeper and deeper into parts of the world where it's harder to follow. Very much you so. Know, it's very hard yeah. to operate in places like Dubai or, you know, God yeah. knows where they pop up next or in some of these kind of African countries. So, I mean, there is a, an important... Uh, Point. Uh,
1: They're going out of reach of us issue. too, really, aren't they? Now that you mentioned yeah, there's that, a lot of black spots
0: yeah. uh, Developing in the in the media world because of uh, resources. I mean, even Turkey.
1: I mean, how comfortable would you be? Would you be sending somebody out to Turkey to try and you know, it's, in a, in a country a, where so many journalists have been imprisoned yeah. for nothing?
0: Yeah, I mean the, the the toll on you know journalists and the the the, the attacks on them and and the you know assassinations of journalists in some part of the world, as we know, is always, uh, always kind of going up and up. Yeah. And again, to our point is that, you know, when we were looking at trying to be safe and going out to your jobs, you wouldn't go into a territory where you thought you couldn't be safe and you couldn't have mm-hmm. all those kind of checks and balances. Uh, so, I mean, it is it is difficult, yeah.
1: Yeah. So they're out of reach, maybe in a way, in a small way. But then again, um, we know that whatever else is going to happen, that that Kinahan story, which... I mean I feel sort of started in this underworld um back in the day but it's going to continue through all media over the next really there's still probably another four or five years I think before Yeah you come well to this I conclusion. Don't think
0: that the uh, you know the, the the Godfather analogies and uh, you know that the gangsters are fans of the go- of the 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 gangster movies as well and the Godfather and that but uh, the, the culmination of the, the Godfather trilogy, as we know, happens in the opera in Sicily, you know, and I think uh, I've often said before, one thing that struck me, when you talk about the papers like The Sunday World, uh, and he will carry on these kind of stories, but it was only in very recent times, I think, that the what we might call the, uh, you know, the broadsheet media caught up and caught on to that story for a long time. You know, people would have been sniffy and snooty enough about it and would have been saying to the likes of us, you know, this is all kind of hyperbole and, you know, tabloid exaggeration. And then all of a sudden they woke up one morning to realise, you know, what a story they had in their hands, you know, with the, the... the kind of boxing connections and all of a sudden you had the American government coming in and you know uh, putting 5 million rewards on the heads of these people and th- these guys were, were scrambling to catch up and and all of a sudden the headlines got from being in the Sunday world being in the New York Times so i mean there is that kind of uh, it's, it's kind of coming uh, the, the the sort of uh, climax of the story you get that sense that it's coming and I think uh, back to the opera in Sicily I think that the, the fat lady is tuning up to sing you know but the tabloids in the Sunday world and the likes of the star and the mirror will certainly be there when the fat lady does sing I think you know but the, the rest of the media has, has certainly woken up to the, the big story that's there
1: We'll be there for the final chapter well, Neil Leslie thank you very much You're very welcome